Now we've been uh, doing the letter of Peter, going through it, and we've been enjoying going through that letter, but for the next few weeks, I'm going to be looking at another topic, membership. And that's why the title, uh, No Place for Marbles, is there. And you'll, you'll see why I've chosen that title. Let's look together at Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 42. Acts chapter 2. And let's read this passage together. Acts 2, 37 to 42. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what are we to do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on urging them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we can come together. This first gathering of 2021 is precious to us because we don't know for how much longer we will not be able to meet this way. We're sometimes baffled with the restrictions and the decisions that the government government makes. We call on you to give us grace throughout this period to really care for each other, to pray one for another, to call each other, and be concerned one for another because we are members of one body. We do not want to neglect the church of Jesus Christ, this holy house of God of which we are living stones. Help us to keep an eye out for those who are weaker, those who are more frail, the elderly, those who are perhaps more fearful and more anxious. Give us wisdom in this time to navigate these waters and to come out of this stronger than before. Help us to cherish the membership that we have in Christ because it is a gift that has been given to us through the death and resurrection of our Lord. And we want to value it. And this we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. What are the first thoughts that come to mind when the word membership is said? 
Amazon, Costco, right? We think of membership and we think of benefits. For example, if you are an Amazon uh, member, maybe a Prime member, you have uh, items that you can order online and, and they will not be charging you shipping costs. And perhaps you have access to Prime movies or whatever it's called. And if you're a Costco member, well, you know, you have quality items at a significantly lower price, even though some say it's not the case, but, you know, fuel is. Fuel is much less than anywhere else. Um, you can return hassle-free any item you buy at Costco, right? These are some of the benefits. There are other benefits, but they don't come to mind right now. But anyways, there are benefits. And that's what we think when we think of the word membership. Um, this kind of thinking has been adopted by the church. We think of membership and we think of benefits. And if there are no benefits, why should I be a member? Um, I read an article on the benefits of church membership. There are a whole bunch of them, by the way. Look on the net. Just, I just picked one up. Here are the, some of the benefits of church membership. Friendship. You develop lifelong friends through connection with church members. Making and having friends that share the same beliefs and values help us navigate this bizarre world. Secondly, opportunity to make a difference. You can volunteer to help others who need help. You can be involved in relief work, food banks. You can contribute with your talent by playing a musical instrument, serving in other ministries. Opportunity to make a difference. Three, accountability. Belonging to a church provides a level of accountability for its members. Four, sense of community. Many live in isolation and don't even know their neighbors on their street. Belonging to a church provides interaction with other people. Personal development. As Christians, we are all on a journey of personal and spiritual growth. A church is a great venue for this kind of growth. Social events. One of the many perks of being part of a church body is the availability of social events. Whether the event is a Bible study or a baby shower, the opportunities are there. And the seventh one, I added this, is mine. You can find your future spouse. <laughs> so when you look at this list, you quickly realize why the church in the Western world has become irrelevant. It's sad. We're weak and we become pointless. See, all these benefits I just read, I can get them at the Rotary Club. All of them. Little wonder the church has lost the respect that it once had. There's no mention of the gospel. No mention of sacrifice. No mention of giving one's life for another. 
Unfortunately, this is how membership is touted in many churches. It's primarily viewed in terms of what you can get as a member. Church membership has nothing, nothing, nothing to do with benefits. Nothing. In fact, the list of benefits I just read are the very reasons why many people are leaving church. Yes, not no. If I make you believe that these are the benefits you will find by becoming a member of LCF, you will be deeply disappointed. What is there to keep you here when you realize that the church you joined just doesn't deliver? Over the past 20 years at LCF, we have had registered members. Registered members were those who were willing to take on a greater role in the church by being involved in the corporate side of church life. And we were grateful for their commitment. They filled the gap when others were unwilling to do so. However, since last year, we've done away with registered membership because from Scripture, we've come to understand membership is more than a commitment to corporate matters such as finances and the election of a governing body and uh, church buildings and so forth. Membership is primarily a spiritual issue. This truth comes out crystal clear when we examine the early church. And that's why I've read this passage. Members were more than those who came together to decide on issues that impact the church. From Paul's words to the Romans, we get an idea of what happens when you are a member. Romans 12, verse 5. Read that with me. Romans 12, verse 5. So we who are many are one body in Christ. So as members, we become one in Christ. And individually, members. So we're one and many. And individually, members one of another. Members one of another. So I'm a member to you, and you are a member to me. There is a connectedness that exists between blood bought believers that exist nowhere else, not at the Rotary Club, not at Costco, not at the golf club, not at the yacht club, or any other association. The members of Christ's church are uniquely united to each other in mutual dependency. Your growth depends on us, and my growth depends on you. Without you, I can't grow. Without us, you can't grow. It's remarkable. Each believer loves, serves, esteems, and is bonded to the other. The existence and function of one member 
is necessary to the usefulness of the other. There is interdependency and interconnectedness. That's the gift that God has given to us in Christ. Let me use this illustration that I've said many times before. A church can either resemble a cluster of marbles together in a bag or a cluster of magnets. Marbles in a bag are held together by an external receptacle, a bag, that keeps the marbles together. Now, if the bag, however, is torn, the the marbles are scattered, they go everywhere, and and the, the torn bag reveals that the marbles, the marbles rather, were never one. They were held together by this receptacle, the bag. And many churches are nothing more than a bag of marbles, especially when the concept of being a member because there are benefits for me is embraced. So what keeps members who are seen as marbles or behave as marbles because they're in it for the benefits, what happens? Well, they're there because there's a gifted pastor, a beautiful building, the children's program, the music program, the academy, social events, community outreach, friendships, and maybe good-looking girls. Yeah, that's true. I've seen guys that come to church because of good-looking girls. But once the bag is torn, once the benefit is removed, and members scatter like marbles, there's nothing there to hold them together because the benefit is gone. And we've seen many churches throughout COVID, by the way, so many have closed. Because once you remove the benefit, there's nothing holding them together. And we've witnessed over the years individuals who've left LCF. And I remember I used to, it used to bother me. It would tear me apart when someone would just leave. I would pray over it and lose sleep over it and call them and whatever. And then I realized the reason they had left is because a benefit was no longer there. It wasn't present. So they just picked up and left. Their raison d'etre for being members was revealed. The truth came out. The early church had none of the benefits that most churches today enjoy. They had no music program, no buildings, no gifted pastor, no social events. The church had no visible attractiveness. What they had was Danger, that's all he had. Persecution, difficulty, hardship. People would say, what makes you want to be part of that? Their leaders would often get arrested, imprisoned, tortured, put to death. They had every reason to scatter like marbles, but they didn't. When that would happen, for example, in the case of Peter, they came together, and they called on the Lord in prayer. Early believers were not marbles. 
They were magnets. They were mutually dependent and interconnected in a supernatural way. There's no explanation for it. It's supernatural. And this is the kind of church we want to be. A church that pleases God. A healthy church that reflects these kinds of traits of magnets, interconnectedness, and a deep love and respect for each other. A church made up of members who are not in it for the benefits, but who are in a covenantal relationship. A covenantal relationship. We don't want to be marbles. We want to be magnets. So let's look at the early church and see how, what kind of magnets they were, what it means to be a magnet. Verse 41, we read, So then those who had received his word, Peter's message, were baptized that day there were added about 3,000 souls. This text deals with the birth of the church. Before his ascension, Jesus told his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait for the endowment of power. He didn't condition them. He didn't tell them, you're going to be speaking new languages. No conditioning whatsoever, as many churches do today. There's none of that. He said, wait for the endowment of power. And after 10 days of praying and waiting, in fact, they were sitting. They weren't even kneeling when they were praying. You can read that up, by the way. It says, as they were sitting, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. 120 of them were gathered together. And immediately after that experience, Peter stands and boldly preaches the gospel. The fearful The intimidated Peter, the brash, became different. He was under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. And he quoted Scripture. And he exposited from Scripture that Jesus was the Christ. Not anecdotes, not stories, Scripture. And he explained the passage remarkable. He explained how Jesus of Nazareth, the one they had crucified, how had been raised and he was the long-awaited Messiah and now God had made him Lord. And then we are told a number of those in this audience received the message preached by Peter. So who is Luke referring to when he writes, those who received the word? Well, they were Jews. Jews. Who had come to Jerusalem for a special feast called Pentecost. They had come from a whole bunch of cities, from all over the Roman Empire, because God's law, the Old Testament, the law of Moses, required that For three special holidays, three special feasts, all Jews were to come to the temple, one of them being Pentecost. 
And they came for this special feast. God orchestrated the events so that on this day, on this special feast, the church would be birthed. Not before and not after. On this day, during Pentecost. Everybody, when people think about Pentecost, they think about tongues. And that's sad. Yes, the gift of tongues was there, but so was a whole bunch of, there was a mighty rushing wind. There was a whole bunch of things happening at Pentecost. But what's the most important thing at Pentecost was the birth of the church. It's remarkable. And they came, not expecting this, from all over the Roman Empire. Now, in reading this chapter, we discover that a crowd was there. But how big was this crowd? I tried to do research. I, I found a whole bunch of numbers. The most conservative, 250,000 Jews. 250,000. That's the minimum. Some say a million. Some say two million. That's a big crowd. So let's take the most conservative, 250,000. Of the 250,000, 3,000 believed. Only three. That's one per- a little more than 1%. That's a small number. Very small number. Remarkable. Now we look at 3,000. Wow, look at the big number. No, it's a small number. Never forget that. And because most of them left and they became evangelists in the very cities where they came from. Passover would typically take place in May, in early June, and, and uh, they would stay there from Passover, from Passover, and then, uh, sorry, Pentecost. That's right, Passover, and then they would stay until Pentecost, 50 days afterwards. And this feast of Pentecost was to commemorate the anniversary of the day when God gave the Torah on Mount Sinai. And also, it was the feast of ingathering. So they would come to the Lord with their harvest, a, a sample of their harvest, and thank God for the harvest that he had given them. So to commemorate the ingathering or this large harvest of wheat in their field, fields, as well as to commemorate the day when God gave the Torah on Mount Sinai, they came to celebrate Pentecost. So they would remember the event on on Mount Sinai, and they would thank God for this harvest. On Mount Sinai, God wrote his word on tablets of stone. But at Pentecost, God wrote his word on hearts of flesh. He quickened them. They never expected it. It came like a thunderbolt. They were standing there listening to Peter, and something happened. Like a mighty rushing wind, the Holy Spirit moved on this massive crowd of 250,000 And touching one, touching another, and another. It was the work of God, monergistically, sovereignly, choosing those whom he had foreordained to salvation. Not everybody, 
3,000. In the Gospel of John, we read Jesus' words to, the, to Nicodemus concerning the new birth. And this is what Jesus says. Look at it. John 3, verses 7 and 8. Look at this passage. It's powerful. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it is coming from and where it is going. Do you think Nicodemus wasn't there? Do you think he would have remembered these words that Jesus told him? Of course he was there because he was a faithful, devout Jew. I could imagine Nicodemus being there and just feeling this wind. And so is everyone who has been born of the Spirit. Sovereignly, God moved on certain hearts of Jews who were chosen before the foundation of the world and gave 3,000 of them, of this massive crowd, the gift of new birth. Now the question, how do we know they were 3,000? I mean, this massive crowd, did they all get a, a wristband? Was there some kind of glow on their face? Think about it. There's only one possibility, and it's a text that tells us, by the way. The apostles immediately organized a special event where the new believers confessed their faith in Christ. Water baptism. Water baptism. There's no other explanation. Water baptism. That's how they did it. And while these new believers in Christ were being water baptized, someone was keeping a record. Yes, there was a record of everyone who confessed their faith in Christ while being water baptized. Now, water baptism was a practice that already was in place even before John the Baptist. I'm not going to go into that right now. It's much too lengthy. Let me digress, though. There are two objections that I would like to address. First, the necessity of a baptismal course. Because many people look at this passage and say, look, they got saved and they got baptized. We should do the same thing. I've seen churches where the pastor who wants to receive Jesus today. Okay, let's go. Let's get them baptized right now. I've seen that happen. And uh, that is not biblical at all, by the way. I'll tell you why. People have told me, John, why is there a baptismal course? Well, in the book of Acts, we read that as soon as they did believe, they got baptized, and people who use this passage uh, try to support that position that they can get baptized right away. I've had people come to me and say, listen, I was in Israel. Yes, that's beautiful. I've always wanted to go. I said, that's beautiful. And what did you do? I got baptized. That's, <laughs> that's not scriptural. It sounds scriptural. I got baptized in the Jordan River. It was really nice. I'm sure it was, I said. That's not scriptural. I'll show you why. See, they, they base themselves on the fact that it has to be spontaneous. They have to feel it, type of thing. And this is what happens when we don't rightly divide the word of truth. We need to keep in mind the identity of those who got baptized. Look at verse 5 in chapter 2. 
see who they were that was there, that got baptized. Read it carefully. Now there were Jews. Jews. What kind of Jews? Residing in Jerusalem. Devout men from every nation under heaven. Two things. Jews and devout. Know what that means? That means these are people that knew God's word like the back of their hand. That's what it means. They were God-fearing, law-keeping, scripture-reading Jews. Now, you didn't have Gentiles here. The only Gentiles that were in Jerusalem because they were pushed out. No Gentile was allowed in Jerusalem during Pentecost. That was one of the requirements that the, uh, the Sanhedrin had agreed with, with uh, Rome, with Herod in particular. They didn't want any Gentiles during Passover and during Pentecost. No Gentile. In other words, nobody who didn't know the law. Because they would be contaminated by touching a Gentile. And because they were like sardines, they couldn't afford that. So they had the Gentiles just wait outside of the city. Do whatever else you want to do. Leave us alone. Jews devout. That means they knew God's word. So when the Holy Spirit worked in their hearts, all the Holy Spirit did was convict them that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah, the one they had been waiting for, the one they had been praying for, the one that they were waiting and longing for. But they knew God's word. The word of the Lord became clear to them. It all came together. It all fit together. And they said, of course. He's the one. 3,000 of them, not the rest. So in my 40 years of ministry, I've never had one person who accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, who received the gospel and believed in it, who understood and knew scriptures. Most of them didn't. Most don't. I've never met a devout Jew. Because if I would have met a devout Jew who knew scriptures, I would have said, you can get baptized right now. That's why the Ethiopian that, would, that had come to the temple and was returning back, Philip baptized him right away. Of course, this man was reading scripture. So these wonderful meetings where you see hippies coming together and say, let's just uh, kumbaya and get baptized, that does not appear Nowhere in God's word. Nowhere. And they use this passage and they're making a big mistake. The second objection, membership. Some people have told me membership is nowhere in the Bible. It doesn't exist. But that's really hard to... <laughs> you'd be hard-pressed to prove that one because it's everywhere. We can deduce from, but because we're reading this passage, we can deduce from our reading in the book of Acts that the early church kept a record, as I said earlier, of those who got baptized. It had to. Otherwise, Luke would have never said, and around 3,000 believed. This was not simply a head count. There was an actual record keeping of the names of those who got baptized on that day. Now, I found this nowhere in any... I, I've, I've read commentaries after commentaries, and nobody picked this up. I'm not sure why. 
But the reason I can say this safely is because they were Jews. And Jews loved genealogies. Jews loved record-keeping. They were meticulous. You know, if you speak to a Jew, a serious Jew, not a secular, not a liberal, doesn't care, a serious Jew, and you tell him, who did he descend from? He'll bring you, and he'll tell you everything about his lineage. They don't need Ancestry.com. They don't. They laugh at that. I know exactly where I come from. I know my ancestry perfectly. I know my uncles and my aunts and where we come from. Which tribe? Jews don't need Ancestry.com because they are record keepers. Read the first book of the New Testament. The first one. Who would ever start a book that way? Who would ever start with a whole bunch of names, like a telephone book? Would you start a book that way? Jews would. Because for the Jews, genealogy is everything. It's everything. So when they got baptized that day, they didn't just say, okay, one, two, three, four, five. They didn't do that. No, no. One, your name. Where are you from? How do you know that? Because Luke says, and there were men from Rome, Egypt. He knows specifically the towns, the cities, the areas. You think he just guessed it up? Strange that no scholar picked it up, and I don't know why. Because it's so obvious, it's right there. So not only did Luke know the number, he knew where they were from. Because Jews are big on record keeping. Look at the book of Numbers. Genealogy after genealogy. Look at First Chronicles. Look at Ezra. Look at Nehemiah. Genealogy after genealogy. Look at Genesis. Genealogy. You can't read the Bible without stumbling over a genealogy. Because records are a big thing. Because God insisted on it from the beginning. Why did he insist on it from the beginning? was because of Jesus Christ who had to come from the lineage of David. And through him, all the nations of the world would be blessed with the gospel. So the Jews who were there, because were not Gentiles, I keep telling you, no Gentile was there, kept a careful record of all those who got baptized on that day. So church membership is clearly in Scripture. I can show you from many other places, even from the Old Testament that's there. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul speaks about the importance of membership. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. For the early believers, you could not be baptized and not be a member. It just didn't exist. You were baptized, you're a member. It's not only believe and be baptized, which is what we commonly know, but it's also be baptized and become a member because you are a member. Baptism means you're a member, according to Scripture. 
1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and yet has many parts, and all, and all the parts of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit, we were all baptized. And this is the baptism of the Spirit. It says right here, we were all baptized. We, as believers, as children of God, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks. Because there were some saying, only the Jews were. No, Paul says, Jews or Greeks, anyone who's a believer. Whether slaves or free, because in those days, slaves were insignificant. Paul says, no. He's a believer. He is baptized into the body. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. Notice how many times the word one appears. Notice how many times Paul is stressing the fact that we are members of one body. Because we're all members. All believers are members. That's the thing. The moment they're baptized, they're members. When a person is born again, the Holy Spirit baptizes him into the body of Christ. In fact, a Christian becomes a member of the body at salvation. Water baptism that follows the new birth, the ordinance, is a confirmation of the work of the Spirit in a believer's life. And as I just said, this means that we need to change the way we carry out this ordinance here at LCF. Our baptism course course must include membership. It can't be separated. The early believers here that we see that were well-versed in Scripture and understood who Jesus Christ was and were empowered now to go into their own respective cities back home and become, became the first evangelists, the first missionaries, if you would. They were baptized and they understood that that meant membership. It's not that they were baptized and then Months down the road, they did a membership course. No. Membership means baptism. Once they were baptized, they understood. They were members. And that's what we need to change here at LCF. So so first, church membership is covenantal. It has nothing to do with benefits. Nothing at all. Secondly, church membership takes place at new birth. Spiritually, you are baptized into the body of Christ. And therefore, when you get water baptized, that is when you become a member of the church, according to Scripture. So therefore, your water baptism is an open declaration that you are part of the body of Christ, that you've been baptized into the body that Christ is your Savior. What a privilege, what an honor to live this way, to honor our God this way. He gave us his gift. Now, you know, I had planned to speak on membership, and the more I studied, the more these truths came out, and they struck me, and they convicted me. And it's remarkable that at the same time as I was preparing this message, what I discovered was that we may not be able to meet for the next little while. And if we're marbles, we're going to just pull away from each other. We will. But if we're magnets, if the Holy Spirit has really baptized us into the body of Christ, 
If he has convicted us of our sins and we receive the gift of new birth because he chose us before the foundation of the world, we will not abandon each other. It won't happen. We're going to pray one for another. We're going to serve one another. We are going to be continually uh, alert to each other. That's what's going to happen. We're not going to forget each other, no matter what restrictions the government may put into place. Now, there are many restrictions I just don't agree. I think they don't make sense. A law has to make sense. Some laws just don't make sense. And there may become a time when we may have to stand up and say no to some things. And if that's the case, we will all feel it together. We're, as a church, as we follow the Lord, as we care for each other, we're not going to just get on the news and, and just start becoming crusaders just so that we can get our name on the news. That's not our interest. Our interest is to honor the Lord. Our interest, our interest is to, our desire is to please him and therefore to be the church made up of believers who are genuinely serious about loving each other, serving each other, because we have been baptized by the Spirit of God into the body of Christ, and now we are members. And those of you who are not baptized in water or still not confessing your member if you have been born again. Now, if you've never been born again, please do not get baptized in water. That will do nothing. Right? But if you've been born again, if you have been convicted of your sin, and you see Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, just like those 3,000 that day, in that massive crowd, God sovereignly called them to himself. If that's what happened to you, then you're not baptized, you need to get baptized. And the moment you get baptized, you are a member. Of course, if you understand Scripture, and you have a good knowledge of Scripture, then you don't need to go through any course. You just need a, maybe uh, one meeting would be sufficient. But I think most of us are not at that point. Anyone who comes to know Christ today typically has no clue what God's Word says, has very little understanding, has maybe some kind of a vague notion of Scripture, and that's all. So that's why we train. That is why at LCF we teach. That's why it's so important that we expound Scripture. We dig deep, and we let it convict us, correct us, shape us, fill us, because this is the Word of the living God. There is nothing like it on the face of the earth. The more I read this book, and the more I am convicted by it. And it's a wonderful book. So I pray that these changes that I've suggested in the message, but that are clearly in God's word, will be implemented here at the Church of LCF. And that most importantly, throughout this COVID season, that we will be the church that God has called us to be. Not marbles, no place for marbles, only magnets. Let us pray. So Heavenly Father, we come to you with grateful hearts. We are amazed and taken back with everything that you reveal to us in your precious word. As we read these verses, they strike us, they convict us, they are so alive. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this birth of the church. You promise, Lord, that the gates of Hades will not prevail. You think of the humble beginnings of the church. 
and how you use those 3,000 to spread the gospel all over the empire. Now the word of God spread so rapidly. Lord, we are taken aback with your ways and your thoughts. And we pray that when we look at the topic of membership, we would not see it from the vantage point of what are the benefits in membership, but rather that we would see it from the scriptural vantage point. And that we would realize that we are members one to another. And that we are connected one to another. Deliver us from the notion that we are to only be a part of the church because there are some benefits for us. Whatever benefit we may be looking for, that we would be freed from that thinking because if we're not, we will be disappointed. But when we are here, as the early church was, committed one to another for the sake of the gospel, and Lord, we will be a bold testimony, a bold witness in a time when a bold witness is needed. Lord, as we're about to prepare our hearts for the breaking of bread, I pray that you would once again show us how glorious our Savior is and how precious this church is, the body of believers, so we can rejoice in what you've done. Thank you again. In the precious and glorious name of our Lord, we pray. Amen. And if you don't know the Lord... My prayer, my desire, is that you would open your heart to the Savior and see him as Lord, the risen Lord, today. Confess your sins, repent. That's what Peter said to him. Repent and save yourself from this perverse and wicked generation. That's what you need to do. And then you become a child of God. The Holy Spirit is convicting you. And you open your heart to him, to the Lord. Amen.